let me add my welcome to you. If you are a visitor, you're not normally with us on a Sunday morning, I trust you feel at home. My name is Steve, and it's my privilege to speak to you from the Bible this morning. You know, the Bible describes itself as being like a mirror, which means that when we open it up and we read it and we look into it, we see, well, we see God because it's his book, but we also see ourselves. And that combination of God plus us, well, it's like one of those chemistry experiments. When we put them together, it goes boom, and it is powerful. So this morning, does anybody want to do some chemistry this morning? Does anyone want to put God and us together and see powerful results? Yeah? Me too. Well, let's pray and ask God to help us as we do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we open up the Bible, we see you. You reveal yourself for who you are. You reveal yourself through history. You reveal yourself by your Spirit. And when we look at your Word, we see ourselves as well. And this morning, Lord, we want to pray that you would speak to us, that you would help us to see ourselves in the pages of the Bible, and also to see you and the great work that you want to do, have done, and are able to do more so in our lives this morning. We ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I wonder whether anybody saw the story in the newspapers a couple of months ago about the Glasgow Marathon. So when I read a story about the Glasgow Marathon, I assumed it was like a deep-fried Snickers bar or something like that, but apparently not. You need to be over 30 to understand that. Um, but there is this, uh, this race, I think it's actually the Great, uh, Great Scottish Run, and it was discovered that the Great Scottish Run, a half marathon, 30 miles long, was in fact 150 metres short, that the course that they ran was too short. And uh, the the bizarre thing was that they said they discovered this after some of the runners had raised questions about it. It's like, well, how does that work? Do you think people got to the end of the race and were like, oh, I feel like I've run a marathon? And somebody else was like, well, I'm not so sure, Hamish. I think I've got another 150 meters in me. There's something not right here. (laughs) But apparently there'd been an error when they'd been measuring it out. Um, and, uh, you know, and it's not that I think that the kind of good people of Scotland wanted to run uh, less of a distance. Because, as we know, your average Scotsman would be willing to walk 500 miles. And then, in fact, walk 500 more just to be the man who walked a 1,000 miles to fall down at your door. Um, no. And, you know, I don't want to cast aspersions on your average Glaswegian workman as to whether, you know, they sent him out with a trundle wheel on a sunny day and he was like, oh, thirsty work this, isn't it? Just go and have a wee drink. And then maybe, you know, you have another one. And by the end, maybe the, the, the course was a little less straight than it should have been. I don't know how it came about. But can you imagine how the, the people who ran that race must have felt, particularly the guy who won it? He thought that he'd, you know, set. I believe he thought that he'd set a new record for running this race, and suddenly he's found out that, you know, his time is null and void. It doesn't stand anymore because he was 150 meters short of the finishing line. 
Well, this morning we're going to look at an account in the Bible of some people who did something similar. They stopped before they got to the finish line. And it's in the book of Numbers, and it's Numbers chapter 32, and the words are going to appear on the screen. Just to set a bit of context for you, so Numbers is one of the books at the beginning of the Bible, and it's kind of part of God's unfolding dealings with his people, the people of Israel. And right back at the start of the Old Testament, near the start of the book of Genesis, we encounter God speaking to Abraham. And God gives Abraham a promise. And he says, Abraham, you, though you and your wife are old, though you've got no children, you are going to be many nations, and I'm going to give you land. And this was spoken to a people and in a culture where land is really significant. Actually, it still is, isn't it, in that region of the world? And then we, we, as we kind of go, Abraham gives birth to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob. And Jacob's sons form the tribes of Israel who multiply and grow. And there is this unfolding revelation and promise about land. God promises them a land of their own, the promised land. And he says it will be the land of Canaan across the Jordan. But because of Israel's sin, because of Moses, who is leading them, because of his own sin, actually many, many of the people who uh, leave Egypt, which is where God's people are, in slavery, and God releases them, but so many of them, because they don't trust God, they die in the wilderness. And uh, God says, because of their lack of faith, and even you, Moses, all the good that you've done, because you didn't trust me, you will not see the promised land. The only people who will see it are Joshua and Caleb, because they believe the good things that I had for them. And then we're going to pick it up here, just as God's people are approaching the Jordan, which we've heard about this morning, which is the barrier into the promised land. So Numbers chapter 32 and verse 1, the Reubenites and Gadites, these are two tribes of Israel, the Reubenites and Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the community and said, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliala, Sibam, Nebo, and beyond, the land of the Lord subdued before the people of Israel are suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. Now, at this point, Moses is really attuned, you know, having gone through that period in the wilderness where God's people rebelled against God, where they didn't trust him and the good things he wanted to give them. He's really sensitive, and so he starts accusing these two tribes of Reuben and Gad and saying, you're trying to lead the people of Israel astray, just like your forefathers did in the desert. We're so close now. Why do you want to stop the people entering? And so then in uh, verse 16, it says, They came up to him and said, we would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children, but we are ready to arm ourselves and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of this land. We will not return to our homes until every Israelite has received his inheritance. We will not receive any inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. Okay, so just to illustrate this, I've put a, a, a map up on the screen for uh, 
the cartography fans amongst you. And you'll see in the middle there, this line going through the middle is the River Jordan. And you see on the right-hand side, Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. So that's the land on the east of the Jordan. The land on the left, that's the promised land. And so what we're reading about here is the tribe of Reuben and Gad. And in fact, half the tribe of Manasseh join them and say, we don't want to cross the Jordan into the promised land. We want to be here. And I want to suggest to you this morning, that was a big mistake. That is a problem. And one of the reasons why it's such a problem is really what the promised land represents and reflects. So let me try and uh, explain it like this. Um, Tone. Are you comfortable, Tone? Yeah? I think you could be more comfortable. Can we get a more comfortable chair for the lady here, please? good. I think we can do better than that chair you're sat on there, Tone. I think we can. So let's get. No, she doesn't have to sit up here. It's fine. She can sit down there. The the jars, somebody's dumped them there. Welcome to IHC. (laughs) So make yourself comfortable, Tone. You know, we want you to have uh, a much better. Is that okay? Actually, I think, you know, I think we could do better. We've got a cushion, actually, for the lady. Can we get a cushion? For, brilliant. Yeah, let's get a cushion for her. That's better. Put behind you. Not suggesting it's a booster cushion or anything like that. Make yourself <laughs> brilliant. Um, great. Well, so, uh, do you know what? It feels a bit wasted while you've got a comfy seat and a nice cushion. Can we get a cup of tea for Tone, please? I just think that would be nice. Brilliant. Oh, thanks, James. That's great. Thank you. Okay, all sorted now. Um, actually, um, Maybe like a Kit Kat or something like that, a bit of chocolate. To... Brilliant. Thanks. Tone has got the best seat in the house. She really does. And this is a picture for you of the promised land. It is God's best. It was the fulfillment for the tribe of Israel, of all God's promises, the very best, his provision for them. Uh, The Apostle Paul says in the New Testament that God's will is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. That's what the promised land reflects and represents. It is the best seat in the house. And the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad say, actually, you know, we're happy here. We think this is this is okay. We don't want. Well, it's not even we don't want to cross into the Jordan, do they? They say, don't make us cross into the Jordan. And this is, you know, not just that they miss out because they don't go into the, the Jordan, but it has all sorts of other effects. You know, it, as we saw from that map, it's not just that they decide to do it, but half of the tribe of Manasseh join them. Not even the whole tribe. They divide a tribe of Israel in half, and half of them say, we're going to go with them, and the other half uh, cross over into the promised land. It's, it's also a problem because it causes disharmony and disunity uh, amongst the people. So when we go forward a couple of books, and the book of Joshua, we read about how the the people do go and cross over the Jordan and help their uh, fellow tribes win the victory and take the land of Canaan. And then when they're on their way back to their land at the east of the Jordan, they suddenly kind of realize, well, actually, there's going to be this big river between us. And what if the people 
in Canaan, in the promised land, say, actually, you've got nothing to do with us. And so they erect an altar near the, uh, near the river as a kind of memorial that, that kind of we are connected. Well, the rest of the tribes of Israel, the other nine and a half tribes who get an allocation of land, they are up in arms and saying, you know, they're trying, Jerusalem is where we should worship. They're trying to set up a rival here. And just that decision and all the consequences of it cause serious problems. Now, you know what? There is some scholarly debate about, you know, how much of a problem this really is. You know, well, here's the land. It's good land. God's made it available to them. Is it really such a bad thing? Well, I want to suggest to you, yes, it is. And, and because Moses saw this as a bad thing, he recognized that the land in which they were occupying was not the same as the promised land. Because Moses was told by God that he couldn't enter the promised land. So Moses knows that this land on which he's standing, where the people are talking to him and say, can we stay here? He knows that's not the promised land. And he is just so um, desperate, really, to enter that land that he says to God, and this is, this is Moses, right, who at the start of his ministry, right back at the start of Exodus, when God called him, God says, you know, Moses, I want you to lead my people and go and speak to Pharaoh. And Moses comes up with all these arguments why he shouldn't do it. He says, well, Lord, you know, who am I? Little old me, I can't do that. Or even, Lord, who are you? Or what will I say? Or he gets to the point where he just says, send someone else, God. And, and God is so gracious and so patient and works with him. But then right at the end, towards the end of his life, Moses can see, look across the Jordan, he can see the promised land, and he is begging God and saying, Lord, please let me enter this land. And God says such a, a, a parent thing to Moses. It reassures me every time I find myself saying this, because God says it to Moses. He says, Moses, the answer is no, and don't ask me again. <laughs> Anyone else ever said that? This is Moses who, you know, went from being the scaredy kid who was, who was frightened every time the ball went near him to being the one who was saying, pass to me, pass to me. You know, he was desperate to enter the promised land. He knew the land in which they were talking there wasn't the fulfillment of God's best and God's promises. But also, you know what, God knows it as well because we fast forward further into the book of Ezekiel after Israel have entered the land and then they've been kicked out of the land because of their sin and their idolatry. And God gives Ezekiel a vision of restoration, of the temple restored, and also the land restored. And that land is within the boundaries of Canaan. It doesn't include the land to the east. He sees all of the tribes in that promised land. This land is the fulfillment of God's best. Which kind of begs the question, why? Why did they not enter? Why did they not want to enter? I want to suggest to you three possible things that are going on here, three possible reasons. And in doing that, this is not just to kind of give a, a little sort of interesting study of a civilization far away and long ago. You know, we might be separated from the people of Israel by technology and by culture and by language and by climate, but actually they're still people just like us. And so as we look at these things and look at their reasons, we're really asking God to speak to us and to say, actually, am I guilty of that at times? Do I do the same thing that they do? It might look different for me, but actually, is, is it the same issue going on here? So three possible reasons why 
I think that maybe they said, we don't want to go into the promised land. The first is an attitude that says, near enough, near enough. So they have come an amazing journey, the people of Israel. You know, it's gone from being Abraham and Sarah, old and barren and, you know, no hope really, to um, multiplication, to God growing nations and tribes out of them, to God opening up land ahead of them and winning battles as they've gone through. You know, where they are there is so far away from where they've come from. Surely this is near enough. This is, this is okay. And I think that's an attitude that, you know, I, I kind of can recognize in myself sometimes, actually. And uh, it was something I, I was really challenged by uh, a few years ago. You know, we really, in this church, believe in change and the importance of change. We've just been speaking for the past few weeks about it. And I remember really being convicted uh, a few years ago, thinking, actually, I don't want to go through a year when I don't change. Because however far God has brought me, there's always more to go. We had a great time in our city group recently. Just re- I was following up on Andy Charlton's talk about the importance of our hearts. And as we reflected on what the Bible said about the, the kind of dangers of our hearts and how it can lead us astray, we also kind of reflected on the hope that comes through Jesus and his word. And it was so good reflecting on, actually, none of us are the same as we used to be. You know, God has brought us on a great journey, which is brilliant. But there's so much more to come. Just to say that we've come so far is not to say we've arrived at where God has for us. So I think near enough is one of the challenges that they faced and that we can face as well. I think the next one is similar. It's good enough. It's good enough. It's interesting that they, one of the reasons why they say to Moses that this is the land we want to occupy, they say, you know, we are farmers. We have livestock. This land, this is good for livestock. You know, this is good enough for us. In other words, they base their expectation of what God wanted for them on their experience so far. And can I suggest to you, that's not a great way to interpret God's best because God has so much more for us. You know, I'm constantly uh, reminded by God, just, you know, when I look around this room, how much potential and how much talent, how much gifting, how much anointing there is in this room, what incredible things can be carried out by the people here. But if we have an attitude that says, this is good enough, I'm happy to coast, then we're never going to see it. We need to break out of our experience so far and believe God is able to do more, that he's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. But if we base our expectations on on kind of just our experience so far, well, then our experience is just going to stay the same, isn't it? And I want more. So we can't base our, our kind of our view of God's best on where we've come from or even where we are now. The third attitude that I think might be at play here is just they've had enough. They're tired. They've, had, they've you know, trekked for miles and for years. You know, they've kind of come out of slavery in Egypt, and they've been wandering in the desert, and, you know, through various challenges, have been engaging with God and learning about him and what it means to be the people of God. And they've had battles, and they've been, you know, victims, and so much has gone on. 
And maybe they just thought, I've had enough. I'm tired. And I think, you know, we can all get like that at times. And I don't just mean, uh, you know, I need a couple of extra hours sleep. I missed out on my eight hours sleep. But just spiritually tired, worn down by life. But the, the, the problem is that still causes us to miss out on God's best. We heard this morning about uh, how God brought Israel out of uh, slavery in Egypt, and he did it by parting the Red Sea, and he kind of brought them out into the desert. And, and it's, as we kind of look to God's leading his people into the promised land, we see that he's going to part the Jordan and bring them in. And for like Bible teachers like me, we love that sort of thing. It's called a chiastic structure. It's like parallel things. God cross, brings them out from a river and brings them in. But the problem is the bit in the middle is just desert. It's wandering. It's, it's process. It's not purpose. And the, if, we, if we give up now, then we miss out on the best that God has. So near enough, good enough, had enough. These can all be reasons why we settle. While we stop, while we stop looking for God to do more, while we stop challenging ourselves to do more. So what's our response? How do we overcome these attitudes or these thoughts or these tendencies? I want to suggest, because I like symmetry, three things that, uh, that we can do to respond to this. The first one is to get a vision to get a vision. You know, one of, the, um, one of my reflections on uh, my Christian life, and it's good to reflect on your Christian life and to look back and to think about it, is that it's really hard to succeed in not doing something. If you try not to sin, actually, I don't think you'll succeed. If you try not to do this bad habit, it's really difficult. Trying not to do something is really hard. Trying to do something is much easier. One of the things that I found in my relationship with Jesus is that I need to not try to not sin. I need to just choose to do the right thing. Paul says in Ephesians 5, find out what pleases the Lord. Living to please the Lord is the best way not to do the wrong thing. Get a vision. I, um, I sometimes do some training with uh, practitioners at work, people who help uh, children and families. And I, uh, I talk to them about kind of how they talk about the successes they've achieved. And they talk about things, oh, well, you know, I, I kind of, what, what have I done? Well, I kind of got them this referral and I made them this appointment and I, uh, I've connected them in with this service. And I have to say, and I do it in a very winsome way, I'm sure you can imagine. I have to say, so what? You know, getting a referral, what difference does that make? You know, putting them in touch. Is that what you come to work to do, to make phone calls or to make referrals or to fill in forms? No, no, you don't do that, do you? You come to work to make a difference to those families, to help them get on their feet, to help them get carpets in their house, to help them understand how to parent their children. So tell me about those things. In other words, what is the outcome? What is the goal? What is the thing that we're trying to achieve? Get a vision. The second thing is similar to the first. Get God's vision. 
We can have a vision. We can, you know, people, all sorts of people have got visions. They try to be famous or rich or whatever it might be. And they're very set on it. And they very often accomplish it. We want to get God's vision. Because remember, God's vision is the best. It's that good, pleasing, and perfect vision. Get God's vision. And the thing about God's vision is it stretches our thinking and stretches our understanding. You know, we in this church believe that every single person can be a leader, by which I mean every single person can help someone know Jesus and can talk to them and really kind of bed them in in their faith and help them to grow just as they've grown. And do you know what? I am absolutely convinced about this fact. I do not think there is a single person in this room who cannot do that, who cannot share their faith with someone, who can't introduce somebody to Jesus, who can't help them. I don't believe there is a single person in this room. And I want to say to you, if you struggle to see that, then you need to get alongside a city group leader who will speak those things over you, who will believe the best for you, who will help you to do that. Because we need to get hold of God's vision. And then the final thing, we need to get a vision, we need to get God's vision, and then we need to get God's provision for the vision. Get God's provision for the vision. Because the thing about getting God's vision is it's bold and it's ambitious and it's big. And you know what? We cannot do it on our own. And that's a a challenge. And maybe that's why we don't want to get hold of God's vision. You know, I'll be honest with you. I've been preaching for quite a few years now. And, uh, you know, if you want me to get up and fill half an hour just by talking and doing a sermon or something like that, I can probably do that. Okay. Actually, if, you know, if I'm doing well with God or not, I could fill half an hour by standing on the stage. But actually, when you start saying we're about more than that, we're about more than filling half an hour, when you start saying that actually God's vision is about helping other people to know Jesus and helping them to introduce others to it, when it's really um, obvious based on you know, how many seats are occupied in this place by how often we open this baptistry tank as to whether we're actually fulfilling God's vision, well, then there's a bit more of a challenge, isn't there? When you start saying that I'm, you know, my vision is God's vision and it's big and it's expansive, then you have to say, I can't do this on my own. And so we need to get God's provision for the vision. We need God to help us to do the things that we cannot do ourselves. And so sometimes that's a challenge and we can say, actually, maybe I'll just play down the vision. I won't expect too much of myself or I won't believe too much of what's what's possible because then it's going to be hard. Yeah, it is going to be hard unless we rely on God's help to fulfill his vision. So I'd like to take the opportunity to pray together. I wonder whether I can invite us to stand. I think it just helps us to change our posture and to pray and respond. And the first thing that I want us to pray through is just, you know, when we've been talking about those people of Israel, those two and a half tribes that settled east of the Jordan, whether they had an attitude that says, this is near enough, this is good enough, they settled. If there is anything in you, as, as you know, I've been sharing that, that reflects and thinks, you know what, there are areas in my life where I've settled. just want to take this opportunity to pray and ask God to forgive us for that. Because you know, it's, it seems a sort of strange thing because we're the ones who 
who miss out. And actually, when we settle for less than God's best, it's not just us who miss out. It's those around us. You know, what the, the actions of those two and a half tribes had implications for the others that crossed into the land, had implications for their generations and the people who would follow them. It had implications for their relationship with God. And so if there's any sense in which we've settled short of God's best, just take this opportunity now to say sorry to God. And Lord, I want to thank you that you're so gracious with us and so forgiving. Lord, I want to pray for as many of us here who can identify areas of our life, times of our life where we've just stopped. Lord, I want to pray that you would forgive us and release us from any guilt, any guilt, any guilt. You know, I feel that that thing about guilt is really important. You know, we use that illustration of the the best seat in the house there and having a comfy seat and a cup of tea. And uh, But there are people, there are Christians who say, no, that's not for me. I want to, I want to make myself uncomfortable somehow. I want to, it's not right that I'm comfortable like that. And the root of that is guilt, is a feeling like I shouldn't get good things because I'm a sinner. You know what? We are all sinners, but God has forgiven us and he is making us to reign in life and to be overcomers and more than conquerors. And so if, if there's a feeling and you can recognize that, that you've kind of turned your back on the good things of God because you don't deserve it, well, God says this morning, you deserve it. His blood says you deserve it. The cross says you deserve it. The redemption and the price that has paid, if you don't deserve it after that price that has been paid, well, you never will. And so, Lord, right now I want to pray for a release from guilt in the name of Jesus, where, where we have been trying to hold on to the guilt that you have been releasing from us. Would, Lord, would you just remove it? Would it fall to the ground in the name of Jesus? Jesus' name. I want to pray about this issue of spiritual tiredness, people feeling burdened and overcome. want to encourage you just in your own words if that's you if you know that you're just tired of doing the right thing or feel like you're kind of battle weary just say that to the Lord and ask him to remove it in the name of Jesus you know the word says that his his uh, his will his yoke fits us perfectly and the the New Testament when it, it kind of um puts the, the promised land alongside God's rest, which we can experience in part now. It's the, the satisfaction and the peace and the relief that comes from being in the right place with God. So Lord, I want to pray for every person here who's burdened. Lord, where there is a, a Lord, where there is a, a spirit of heaviness, we want to pray that spirit would go right now in the name of Jesus. We want to pray spirit of heaviness, fall off in Jesus' name. Spirit of heaviness, spirit of burden, spirit of guilt, and weighs people down, fall off in the name of Jesus. I'm just, I can see in my mind's eye a picture of people like carrying a cross on their backs, like you know, the, the picture of Simon uh, of, of Cyrene carrying Christ's cross and it's just weighing them down well you know what Jesus has taken the cross Jesus has appeared on the cross not for his own sin but for ours we should not be weighed down 
by that guilt or by any of the things that Jesus took upon the cross, you need to let him take that from you. Jesus, would you release us from that burden and from that guilt in Jesus' name? pray about this issue of getting hold of God's vision and the provision for God's vision. God has called us to be a church of leaders, to be a church of disciples who make disciples. Lord, would you open our eyes and open our hearts to see how big and how vast is your plan and your promise and vision. Lord, I pray, Lord, would you release us from filtering things through our experience so far. Lord God, and calling you a liar when you say that there is more to be had, that we can do greater, bigger, be more fruitful. Lord, would you forgive us for that attitude? Would you open our eyes to understand just how big is your vision and how how big is your heart? And Lord... Believe God wants to say to us this morning, I know it's a message Pastor Clive has spoken before. He says, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. God's Spirit enables us to do what we can't do in our own strength. The Christian life is one where the batteries are included, where the power to to you know, live the life and to get engaged with what God has for us is available through the Holy Spirit. And we want to pray this morning, Lord, would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit? Would you enable us? Give us the provision, Lord God, so that we, we're not um, putting aside the big vision of God because we're worried that we can't fulfill it and we don't want to be a failure. But instead, we accept your vision and we look to you to, to come through. Just like, those, just like the Israelites, when they stepped in the water, they had to make the step to believe you were going to stop, to believe you were going to come through in that moment and they weren't going to get washed away. Who'd ever heard of a, a, a sea being stopped before? But God is able. He is almighty. He will do what is right. Nothing is impossible for our God. Lord, we believe in you, that you will enable us to do all that's on your heart for us today, tomorrow, this week, this year. Lord, thank you. You've got great things for us. Thank you, God. You've got great things for us. Lord, and we don't want to miss out on your best, on the best seat in the house, on the land and the inheritance you have for us. Lord, would you help us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Steve said something really key that, you know, we don't want to miss out and uh, we don't want to miss out on what God's got for us this morning. And uh, earlier in the meeting, um, several people had on their, their hearts another kind of enough, as it were. And we had all oh, those enough that Steve said, but there's another one, you know, there's, there's um, never enough. Have you ever said that? Never enough. And a couple of people felt this morning that God wanted to um, give us an opportunity this morning to be delivered from that kind of never enough spirit, that orphan spirit. And I found it so interesting when Steve spoke this morning and, you know, um, two and a half tribes cut themselves away from the family, you know, and the rest of the tribes lost a part of their family. And, and 
things can happen in life where we feel like something's been taken from us that nothing can ever fill again. That we've been, something's been lost from us or taken from us or stolen from us or we've, we've been taken away from something and, and God will never be enough to fill that thing that has been taken from us, that pain that we have been caused or that relationship that has been broken and, and we feel alone and we feel cut off and we feel separated. It might be physically from an element of your family or it might be spiritually from something that you felt you wanted in God and never came to you and, and we can describe that as you know the orphan spirit. It's, there's, there's an element of... Um, loss and being a victim um, and pain in that and God wants to set us free from that this morning as well so if you're somebody that's come so far in the things of God but in the back of your mind there's that voice that says well it's never going to be enough wherever God takes me however far God takes me it's never going to be enough to offset that which I've lost or that which has been taken from me or that which I've experienced or the pain or the hurt of that then God wants to to set you free from that this morning as well so I'm going to ask Andy because he kind of had a sense that in the spirit to come and pray for us and just lead us in that opportunity for that final thing, you know, that we might have said that, that it'll never be enough because you know what? It is enough this morning. It is, God is more than enough for us this morning. Amen. I've just got one more, I just got one more thing that, that, you know, after the Jordan came Jericho and the they'd done rivers or done water twice and they came across a different kind of barrier that they'd never seen before. My sense this morning is is that how we were praying earlier on about just using the name of Jesus for barriers to come down, there's still more in that for people this morning. So if you want to start, just start raising your voices. If you feel like there's a, there's a barrier between you and moving forward just start declaring in the name of Jesus that that barrier just starts to come down in the name of Jesus if you're feeling frustrated if you're feeling like you can't move forward if the way forward somehow just seems to be blocked for you Lord Jesus we want to save for those walls to come down right now in the name of Jesus got to believe there's a time now for miracles to happen There's situations in people's family situations you're going to bring walls down right now in the name of Jesus. We've got to declare in faith, Jesus, you can do this. And I want you to do that. That's not for me. It's what the Holy Spirit is saying for you to minister into your situation. Jesus, you can do this. Confess the name of Jesus over your situation. Confess the name of Jesus into finances. Confess the name of Jesus into health. Confess the name of Jesus into work situations. Confess the name of Jesus into relationships. I believe there's somebody here with a heart issue, and I'm confessing the name of Jesus to bring healing into your life right now in the name of Jesus. There's somebody with a sore ankle, and I'm saying I'm confessing the name of Jesus to bring healing into your life right now. If you're one of these people that feel like when Karis was talking about that, that orphan spirit, never enough, grabbing more, pursuing to the top of the tree. If that's you, I just want to encourage you to make a movement, to raise a hand or come up front. You know, I heard a testimony from last week when somebody said that you shared a word about that temper and being red hot to white hot and I felt that happen this week and I prayed and 
God delivered me from that. You can be free this morning. I feel there's freedom in the spirit this morning. And your confession needs to be, Lord Jesus, I want to be free. And if you feel in this morning that you really want God to touch your life, just make that confession. God, I want to be free. And we say in the name of Jesus, Spirit, you are no longer any authority here. And you need to go in the name of Jesus. Go in the name of Jesus. If you feel like there's something happening inside you, I want you to just kind of breathe out or exhale. And that Spirit's gone. Gone. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I proclaim your freedom over us this morning. God, I believe your Spirit is still ministering to people. God, as you're speaking to people this morning, just release your freedom. Release your freedom. Be loose. Be free. Be free. Whatever it is, you just confess that out. Right now. So I want to close with these three things, okay? Get vision. Get God's vision. Get provision for God's vision. Why don't you join me? Just make sure we've got those, you know, lock them in the old gray cells. We're going to say those. Okay, so number one, get vision. That, that, yeah, that's right. That was like average. So I'm making sure people are awake that we've got this. Okay, so get vision. Okay, so I want you to look at your neighbor and say to them, get God's vision. Okay, and this is the tongue twister, so prepare yourself. Roll an R. Okay, now get God's provision for God's vision. No, wait, what was it? Get, God, get God's provision for God's vision. You laughed at me, but you're not doing it. So get God's provision for God's vision. Look at your neighbor, shout it at them. Make that eye contact, feel uncomfortable. It's not British, you're going to love it. Get God's provision for his vision. Tremendous. Okay, we're going to close the meeting here. If anybody feels like they want to stay in the room and just keep praying, keep pressing through, you're really welcome to. Um, If people want to, we recognize some people need to pick up their children and so on and so forth. So um, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to end it. But if you want to come and keep praying, then don't miss the opportunity to keep praying. So God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for this word. We pray it will minister to us and I pray your blessing over your people in this time. Amen.